0: Hey, I'm Drew. And I'm Tim. And this is the Hearts and Hands Podcast. In episode 18, we talk about confession and absolution and talk with Luke Thompson about where there's room for creativity in the liturgy.
1: Hello, And welcome to another episode of the Hearts and Hands podcast. I'm Tim Babbler, joined by my co-host, Drew Sonnenberg. Drew, how are things going for you?
0: Busy as always, but good. How about you, Tim?
1: Also busy. You know, the Easter season. Sure,
0: sure. So this episode, we're talking a lot about the liturgy and specifically about confession and absolution. So that got me thinking, Tim, have you done any experimentation with writing your own confession and absolution?
1: Yeah, when I was down in Miami, I actually did quite a bit of it. We did some confessions and absolutions. A lot of the ones that we had came from the hymnal. So when I did my once a month with more modern music, I also incorporated a, a different style of confession and absolution just so people would think about it. I feel like sometimes if we get in the rote of always doing the same things, it may lose its, its value after a while. And that's something that I've seen here at my congregation now is – We definitely always include confession confession and absolution. A lot of times it's a reflection on a specific passage. You might have music playing underneath in the background. And then there are times, too, when we go back and forth between our worship leader and the congregation, just because we feel like those are very important parts of the service. Have you had much experience with that yourself?
0: A little bit. We do these things called Illumin Evenings worship services that are designed to be a little bit more quiet and contemplative and They're similar to these other services that we have sometimes called, uh, services of scripture, song, and prayer, because that's really what, when we break it down, what they are, there's not really like a sermon in them. There's just a bunch of scripture readings and a bunch of prayers and a bunch of songs that are all kind of centered on a single theme, but. Within that, there's almost always some sort of confession and absolution. Sometimes it's just, you know, a song that gets those ideas across. Sometimes it's uh, it's very much like a prayer or a responsive reading of some sort. Sometimes I like to just use the direct words of scripture to accomplish this, too. Sometimes that's in within a single passage, or other times it's uh, you kind of have your confession part come from one piece of scripture or a psalm or something like that, and your absolution come from a different part of scripture. But yeah, not, not a whole lot, but there's a, a little bit that goes into it with each of those services. Well,
1: today we get to hear from one of the presenters from the Last Hearts and Hands workshop. So let's get to that interview, eh? Today we are joined by Luke Thompson from Canada. Welcome, Luke.
2: Thank you. It's great to be here with you guys.
1: Luke, for those who haven't had the chance to meet you or didn't get a chance to attend your uh, breakout session at the Last Hearts and Hands, could you tell a bit about yourself and what you do?
2: Yeah, so I am a pastor. I live in Ottawa, Ontario. That's in Canada. And, uh, and yeah, it's a, it's a... Awesome congregation that we have here, a wonderful church family. We have uh, a nice group of people from all over the world. We have a lot of immigrants in our community, so we're a very diverse congregation. Our church property also is located directly adjacent to University of Ottawa. So we have a lot of work with university students as well. Uh, in fact, every week we have 15 to 20 university students have dinner over at our house. So we get a very active Active uh, work there with the university students. We have especially been working a lot with South Sudanese refugees and immigrants in our congregation, but it's just a diverse, wonderful congregation, ages all over the place, uh, people from all over the place. It's just a fantastic place to be. I've been here five years, and before that, I was going through the seminary and I was also teaching. Uh, philosophy courses at MLC or uh, Wisconsin Lutheran College and Bethany Lutheran College as well. A few classes for them as well. My background is especially in Christian apologetics. That's where I've probably been specializing more than anything in the past uh, 10 years or so. But I love worship. I love music. I love collaborating on stuff. So it was fantastic to get an opportunity to be at Hearts and Hands last year.
0: Yeah, you had a awesome breakout session where you talked a lot about confession and absolution and you referred to it as the heartbeat of worship for those who weren't there. Could you kind of briefly explain what you meant by that?
2: Yeah. So I've heard, I've heard this kind of bad battered around quite a bit. This idea that Luther once said that confession is the heartbeat of the Christian life And I think it's a great statement. I think it's great, but I can't find that anywhere in Luther. Um, I can't find anywhere that he actually said that the heartbeat of the Christian life was, was confession. What he has said is the first of his 95 theses was when our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said, repent, he willed the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. So somehow repentance is meant to be part of the entire life of the believer the first of his theses that he nailed on those church doors. And so if repentance is supposed to be part, the this major life part of the Christian, if this is the heartbeat of the Christian life, then there probably ought to be a couple of those heartbeats taking place in worship, right? And so if you're thinking about what the purpose of a worship service is, I don't know if there's any better way to say that it's supposed to be this oscillation between our teachings of law and gospel. Confession and absolution is just this, this beautiful way of, of, on the one hand, summarizing everything that we know about God's law, but then also summarizing everything that we love and everything that's drawing us together as believers and as people trusting in this Jesus in that absolution that we hear. There was a poem by this uh, this English poet, George Herbert, and the poem is titled Prayer, and he's describing everything that he likes about prayer. And if we were to read it, we know, based on our confessional Lutheran upbringing and, and teaching and things like that, we know that prayer itself is not something that can strengthen our faith, right? So if I pray for a red Corvette or something like that, my faith isn't going to be strengthened. But there are particular kinds of prayers that are able to strengthen your faith. And those are prayers that explicitly have gospel in them. When you have prayers that are gospel-driven, then those prayers are able to do amazing things. And some of the ways that George Herbert described prayer, it would be how we would describe confession and absolution. Because confession and absolution is ultimately, at the end of the day, a prayer that is absolutely laced with God's word. So he calls prayer the church's banquet. You know, confession and absolution, it is a banquet. It's a spiritual feast. You come out of that spiritual feast absolutely satisfied. All of your deepest spiritual longings are met and met in full. He calls prayer the soul in paraphrase. And we could call confession and absolution the soul in paraphrase. In just in just a few minutes, you go through the whole process of honesty about sin and sorrow and reveling in the gospel and the joy that that brings and being reinstated as a child of God. You get to go through this whole thing. And so the soul, all of the different spiritual aspects and spiritual travels of the soul are brought together in this very short time. It's it's a beautiful way of thinking of confession and absolution as the soul and paraphrase. And then one of the other ways that he describes it, the, the last one I'll mention here, is is Herbert calls prayer an engine against the Almighty. And when he says engine, what he means is like a siege engine, like a battering ram or a siege tower or a catapult or something like that. And so he says prayer is a siege engine against the Almighty. So what could that mean? Well, for confession and absolution, maybe you'll think back to when Jesus' disciples asked Jesus, how should we pray? And Jesus told them the Lord's Prayer. And then right after he taught them the Lord's Prayer, he said, Now imagine that there's this man that has this guest that comes from far away. And when this guest shows up, this man goes over to his neighbor in the middle of the night asking for bread. And the neighbor's asleep, uh, but he's banging on his door trying to wake up his neighbor so that he could get this food for, for the guest. And the neighbor says, I'm sleeping. Stop bothering me. And then Jesus says, because of that person's audacity, he's going to get the bread. And Jesus' point is that in our prayer life, we're supposed to be shamelessly, shamelessly persistent about our desire for forgiveness and grace. That we can almost, in a sense, twist, twist God's harm to give us forgiveness, not because of anything we've done, but because he has to, because Jesus died for us 2000 years ago. The payment was made. Forgiveness is ours. And so confession and absolution is this beautiful way, this beautiful way that we can storm the gates of the almighty in a sense and say, forgiveness, Lord, we need forgiveness and we get it right there. So it's just this, it's just this beautiful kind of central thing in worship that covers so much of why we're there in worship in beautiful paraphrase i think thinking of it as the heartbeat in worship is just a perfect way we begin with it typically anyways at the at the beginning of a worship service it sets the stage perfectly and then if a worship service is long gospel oriented then you're going to be oscillating through that confession and absolution as you go through the service as well
0: awesome so Based on how you've been talking about it so far, it seems pretty obvious that you feel that there's at least some room for creativity when it comes to confession and absolution. Um, Sure. So then the question really becomes, why is there or why would you seek to integrate creativity in confession
2: and absolution? So at seminary, we had this uh, seminary professor, James Tiefel, and he taught. Uh, several, he's still teaching right now. He's he's taught several generations of pastors. He's been there for, I don't know, 20, 30 years, long time. And in his class on worship, he was kind of a worship prof. He had lots of great points on what worship should be about or what you should be thinking about when you're doing worship. And there was one thing that he taught that really kind of stuck in my mind. And that's that he said in worship, especially as you're kind of going about creating worship or thinking about worship is you want to be surrounded by the cloud of witnesses which is a biblical way of saying that you want to surround yourself with the best that christians have offered right and so this means on the one hand surrounding yourself with the cloud of witnesses of the christians from the past you can look back and see all of the great things that Christians have done that have been edifying and beautiful, that they've contributed to to keeping the gospel alive for these past 2,000 years. But there's also the cloud of witness in the present, right? So we've got Christians with us today that have lots of skills and lots of desires to serve their Lord and to find ways to make uh, that law and gospel as edifying as possible during the worship service. And then we got to think about The cloud of witnesses in the future as well, that there's going to be Christians that are going to be coming after us that are going to be artistic, that are going to be hungry to praise their Lord with their gifts in different ways. And we want to make sure that we've got a culture that's going to be ready for them so that they can do things in a creative way. So that's, that's maybe one way to kind of start thinking about it. The other thing is that, there's no biblical imperative anywhere in scripture for public confession and absolution in Christian corporate worship, as far as far as I know. So there's nothing, no scripture that says you have to do confession and absolution in worship. Now we've got lots of scripture that says confession and absolution is part of the Christian's life, right? This is what you should be doing. So for example, first John John writes if we claim to be without sin we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us if we confess our sins he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness and the point is that this confession and absolution it should be a part of the way we live but there isn't any direct imperative that this needs to be something in worship in fact wells has published full services right? the Wells Commission on Worship that don't include confession and absolution. So if you think of evening vesper services and morning praise services, we're not bound to include them in confession and absolution. But without a doubt, they should be in some way. I, I think it's overwhelmingly wise that, that they should stay in the worship service. They're spiritually healthy. Uh, they have everything to do with the teachings that we hold most dear when you are doing confession and absolution, there is something happening. It's an exercise of what we call the keys. So we we teach and we believe that scripture teaches that sins really are being absolved at that moment. And so that makes confession and absolution this phenomenally powerful means of grace moment in the worship service. But we know that there's room to be creative because on the one hand, it's not explicitly taught that this is how you have to do it in scripture. And when we look at scripture itself, scripture provides countless different ways of sharing law and gospel, countless different pictures of gospel. And so I think we can find countless ways of preaching law and gospel and of integrating law and gospel into our worship services. I think that's one way that you can kind of start thinking about that question.
1: We've done a good job of definitely answering the what and the why, but there may be some listening that don't know how to answer that how if I want to add creativity in confession and absolution or maybe even other parts of the liturgy, what are some ways that you think people could do that in an an easy way so that they don't have to put too much work into it? If they don't have time, maybe they're just volunteer. Um, What would you suggest for them?
2: Yeah, sure. I think there's, there's two ways to kind of go about this responsibly. And, and I think this is something that we got to consider with deep reverence, right? Like any, like any part of, of worship, but, especially confession and absolution, because it is this, this use of the keys. It is this very explicit, narrowing, uh, laser-focused use of law and gospel. And so in my presentation at Hearts and Hands last year, I talked especially of, of there's t- at least two categories of ways that you could get, go about doing this. I'm sure there's more. But one is you could think about writing your own confession and absolution. But this is this is challenging for a number of reasons. There's a considerable amount of meditation, I think, that goes into writing a confession that will, on the one hand, touch all the truths that you'd want a confession and absolution to have in it, and on the other hand, at the same time, adapting to your reasons for desiring a unique confession and absolution, whether that's like a new cultural context or a sermon series or a special festival service or or whatever it might be. But if you're thinking about the first things, what are the types of things that you would want if you were writing your own confession and absolution, I, I, uh, I gave the attendance a uh, checklist of the types of things that I thought should be in it. And as far as the confession half, there were six different points in the absolution. There were another six, and I'm in no way suggesting that you would need to check all of these boxes in order for it to be a good confession and absolution. But in order for it literally to be a confession and absolution, you have to check a lot of these boxes so i provided a checklist for those types of things so the checklist might look something like this for confession you'd want to include acknowledgement of of these aspects of god's law so on the one hand god's desiring of perfection right so keeping his law our inability to be perfect uh so we can't keep his law perfectly some type of recognition of our sinful actions some type of recognition of having a sinful nature right or being sinful from birth some type of recognition of god's curse or condemnation or hell something like that right the the actual effects or result of the fact that we can't uh, that we can't keep god's law perfectly and then finally a, a plea for forgiveness in jesus name right and the idea is that we're coming to him in confession in jesus name so you'd want to hit those types of things in a confession and then the absolution part in order for this to be a gospel motivated gospel centric absolution. You'd want things like God's love and desire to save. You'd want God's promise and fulfillment uh, of saving us through a savior. You'd want the forgiveness of sins. Literally the words like I forgive you or your sins are forgiven. You'd want forgiveness in Jesus name that this is specifically in the name of Jesus or by Jesus' authority, that this forgiveness of sins is taking place. You'd maybe want to mention the blessings that follow from forgiveness, new life and eternal life and heaven and things like that. And then maybe absolution in the triune God, something like that. But you'd want to kind of look through these types of things and really think long and hard about covering the aspects of law and gospel as you're, as you're writing this. So that's the first thing you could do. The first thing is you could write your own confession and absolution. The second one that's a little less time intensive as far as the writing part goes is the second option is to add musical variety to confession and absolution. So this has historically been done where especially things like the Kyrie – is incorporated into the Confession and Absolution. And you've got 2,000 years of versions and adaptations of the Curiae to, to look at and to research and think about. You can also integrate other hymns or original music around the words of Confession and Absolution. Uh, Koine has this beautiful Confession and Absolution where they weave into it uh, the words from the hymns, Lord to you, I make confession, that they've been using for years. And I think they've got some other other songs that they use in that context. That's what I've done a number of times is write my own music to go along with a confession and absolution, something that you would sing before your confession, maybe in between the confession and absolution and then after the absolution. Yeah. And so I, I think that's something that that you can definitely do and explore. We've
1: talked a lot about how confession and absolution can be made creative. Do you think there are other parts of the liturgy or other parts of the service that could also benefit from a creative approach
2: Absolutely and I think we've got lots of evidence for this too So mentioning Koineg and I think they've done a great job of illustrating that we can be creative and yet very reverent about the cloud of witnesses that have come behind us So we can look to them to see lots of different examples of how they've done other parts of the liturgy they've got a great communion service uh, where they do parts like the Agnes Day and the Holy, 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 and things like that in, in beautiful fashion. You can look at Wells' Commission on Worship as doing this as well, right? So they've given us new service settings for morning praise and other things that demonstrate that there's clearly lots of room to be able to do this. So I, I think we've got lots of Christian freedom to look at lots of different areas to to be creative with. It's, but it's not Christian freedom to be reckless, Right. Right. uh c.s lewis had this one analogy it, it went some, and i don't even know if it was in the context of worship i think it was in something else but it's it's a great analogy he said imagine you're walking through the forest and uh, you come across a wall and you've got no idea where that wall came from you've got no idea you know why it's there does that mean that you should be able to just take it down right uh That there shouldn't be any reason with taking it down if you've got no idea why it's there. Obviously not, right? There's a wall there. The real question is not whether or not you know the reason, but whether or not it's a good reason that it's up there. But there was a reason that the wall was built there. So anyone that says because we've always done it, that's not a good reason at all for why you should be doing something in worship, right? Because we've always done it. But I think it does bring up a good question. Why has it always been done in worship? Why is it there? and I think a responsible and mature worship leader is going to be asking those tough questions and they're going to be someone that uh, really gets uh, it really gets their fire going to to learn about why Christians have done the things that they've done in worship and to look at that when they're looking at different parts of the liturgy. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, definitely. So, with those things in mind, do you think that there are specific parts of the service that we should just leave as
2: is? (laughs) Yeah, that's a that's a hard question. So, symbolism is worthless if the symbols aren't understood, right? Right. Uh, Words are worthless unless you know the language. So, this means the Christian worship leader has an obligation, I think, to constantly be making sure everything in a service is edifying and understanding and understandable that that's basically the worship leader's job right but certain things have stood the test of time because they have remained edifying if done well and if they're explained i think they're still useful for today right I, I, I don't think you'd disagree with that right definitely so rather than say are there any parts that ought to be left as is i maybe would say it this way don't forget anything right if you take something out don't take it out for good but remember it and bring it back make sure that this isn't going to be something that is going to go right out the window but now of course there's there's plenty of things you know doctrinal aspects that that must remain in a worship service for it to be christian but if you're talking about the actual form of the service again none of this is prescribed anywhere in scripture so there's a good amount of christian freedom in it but we've got this great cloud of witnesses to be thinking about as well this cloud from the past that surrounds us and Christians now and Christians in the future to think about.
0: You've already kind of given us a couple sort of best practices or overarching principles that you think about as you're putting together a service. Are there any others that you would think about, especially when you're, you're trying to integrate a little more creativity, just, you know, things you want to consider so that you're, you are being as, as reverent and careful as possible and not just being reckless, like, like you mentioned
2: sure sure someone made this point recently so in a worship service in today's 21st century when you've got a bunch of people that are gathering together many of the people that gather together in our church worship settings a lot of them for whatever reason there's many that are depressed that are anxious that are psychologically worn out we're just in this 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 time where there's just an awful lot of darkness that for for whatever reason it is um, people carry with them when they come into church. And so if you begin your worship service with a heavy hammer blow of the law, you can lose these individuals right away, right? It's just a psychological reality. If that someone is already coming into your worship service, just utterly destroyed, maybe from depressive thoughts, you can just lose them. If you just hammer that in just a little bit more. So, I think a good question that you can begin every worship service kind of planning thought with is how can I begin worship with a glimpse of gospel hope? And this is really useful for thinking about confession and absolution where it begins with law, right? So before you even get to that law portion, it's great to begin with some type of glimpse glimpse of gospel hope, right? Just letting people know if you're here because you're worn out, you're tired, if your soul is aching don't worry, hold on. There is, there is, there is hope for you. There is a hope here that you cannot find anywhere else. You have a God that loves you. And I am here to tell you about how that God loves you. If you can begin with that gospel hope, I think that is a fantastic way to get things rolling. But just kind of in in, in general, as far as best practices or maybe useful principles one of the things that again, like maybe just go back to Tiefel, he's he's a wise man. He talked about the idea that there's different things in the life of a Christian that uh, have different objectives and different scopes. So, for example, when you're engaged in evangelism, evangelism is primarily a job of clarifying things, right? You're trying to to clarify the points of what the gospel is to an individual, make sure that you cut through everything for them. If it's discipleship, the goal is maybe specifying. You are trying to dig deep into things and, and counseling. It's personalizing. If you get to public worship, what's the main goal of public worship? And he suggested it was to summarize and solidify that you're looking at this gospel worship not necessarily to be a, a, a Bible study where you're going to go as deep as you possibly can into the different facets of the garments of the priests in the Old Testament. This is not necessarily straight up evangelism all the way When where your goal is to start at first base absolutely every Sunday with absolutely every person that walks into your room. But what you do have here is the goal is to summarize and to solidify that you're trying to take the most prominent gems of scripture, summarize them, and solidify them into the hearts and minds of people so that when they walk out of that that space with you, they have been regrounded in what they need most in life. And again, I think confession and absolution has this fantastic role to play in that, uh, especially being what we call one of these keys right where where we get to loosen the gates of heaven for people before they go back out into the world
0: yeah that's great i want to thank you for your time today luke your insights have been so valuable and i'm sure our listeners will be very excited to hear them
2: hey yeah, absolutely
0: if there's anything you'd like to pitch any projects you're currently working on or anything like that what where can our listeners find those things
2: yeah, I, there's, there's two things real quick that I'd like to mention. One is, so I mentioned Coin a couple times. So right now they are trying to give some of these beautiful artistic resources to as many people as possible uh, through their new endeavor, A Worship Media. So if you go to com, you can find all of this Cool stuff, a lot of liturgical stuff, all for free right there. And right now they're looking especially for partners and donors to kind of help make them able to continue doing this in the future. So be sure to be looking out for that and going there for resources if you need that. And then the other thing is, I mentioned that we've got our campus ministry Illuminae here. And if you're at all curious about what we do in our campus ministry there, check us out on Facebook, friend us. It is a fantastic. Uh, thing that we've got here. Fantastic community. And the kids there, they would love all the support that you could give them.
1: Well, thanks again, Luke. We truly appreciate your time and your expertise on this subject.
2: Hey, thanks. It's been fun.
0: That wraps it up for another episode of the podcast. As always, if you have any questions you'd like answers to, presenters you'd like to hear from, please reach out to us at heartsandhandspodcasts at gmail.com, or you can find us on all social media platforms at Wells Creatives.
1: And we appreciate the support we've been receiving at our Patreon page, patreon.com slash hearts enhanced podcast. If you haven't yet, check it out and get instant access to bonus materials, content, and uncut episodes. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you next time.